Hi everybody, Mike Wardrop from Encounter Church here, and thanks so much for tuning into our podcast. Our prayer is that through this podcast, you could have an encounter with Jesus that will change your life. And now get ready for an inspiring message from our teaching team. So good to be with you tonight. Again, if I haven't met you yet, my name's Mike, I'm one of the pastors here. Love being here, love being with you, love preaching the word, and love that we get to just unpack some scripture, just unpack a book of the Bible tonight. So this series we're doing, Lost Letters, is all about helping you engage with the Bible in a fresh way, and particularly to engage with some of the lesser known books of the New Testament. Now that doesn't mean they're of less importance, it just means they're a bit smaller and they tend to get overlooked. So tonight we're heading into the the letter from Jude. So that's right at the back of the Bible. Get to Revelation. You've gone slightly too far. Go back one. You're at Jude. So I'm going to read tonight from verses two to four. Sorry, three to four, and then twenty to twenty-three. So if you've got your Bible, why don't you read with me? Verse three. It's only one chapter. Don't even have to give you a chapter. Verse three. Dear friends. Although I was eager to write you about the salvation we share, I found it necessary to write, appealing to you to contend for the faith that was delivered to the saints once for all. For some people who were designated for this judgment long ago have come in by stealth. They are ungodly, turning the grace of our God into sensuality and denying Jesus Christ, our only Master and Lord. And then verse 20. But you, dear friends, as you build yourselves up in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting expectantly for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ for eternal life. Have mercy on those who waver. Save others by snatching them from the fire. Have mercy on others, but with fear, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. This is God's word. That's good. Thanks be to God. Okay. Listen, listen. As a male, let me tell you, we don't have a wide variety of emotions or capacity to express ourselves. I know there's some of us here going, yes, we do. No, you don't. You just have basically the same four emotions with a slight variation, like mad, sad, bad, or glad, and you just got like a slight variation on each of them. And in the same way, we tend to have like three different types of friends. The bulk of our friends are just pretty normal. They're the folks who are like, yeah, we're just trying to be friendly and not get in trouble. Then we have a few friends that are a bit more on the concerned side. And when something is happening, they're the ones going, not sure this is a great idea. I'm not sure if this is a great idea. Unfortunately, we all have a few friends who sit on the other side. And that friend who sits on the other side really only says one thing. They say two words and they say it to you again and again. This is what they say. They say, do it. (laughs) Yeah, do it. It's a great idea. doesn't matter what situation you're coming to in your life. They're like, yeah, do it. You should. The more dangerous, the better. The the less it involves their personal danger, the better. The bulk of people are like, ah, whatever. And then you've got those, those poor few friends who are like, I'm not sure that's a super great idea. And the other, guy's, the other guy's always louder. No, no, do it. Jump off that. So much, by the way, of male bad decisions involve jumping off things. <laughs> Apparently, female bad decisions are about roller skating on things. Who knew? <laughs> I, I didn't know that before today. 
you learn something every day. But so much of it is just about hearing this voice that's going, do it. I remember being a teenager. I'd spend all my holidays. We went up to Port Hughes. Shout out to Port Hughes. If you're watching from Port Hughes, I'm surprised, but that's fantastic. <laughs> I grew up at Port Hughes, and you'd always go down to the Moota Bay Jetty to go jetty jumping, because jetty jumping is a great Australian tradition that is definitely dangerous, and I'm not encouraging it, They can't see me winking if I put my hand up to block that side from the screen, you see. But then I said it out loud. Um, I'm definitely not encouraging it, but it is kind of a formative Australian experience. And if you don't do it, you might not be Australian. That's all. That's all. But, you know, it's your choice. But so we went jetty jumping at Moota Bay, and you're 12, 13 years old, right? And you're there. None of you really want to be there. But all of you don't want to be the afraid one, except for that one guy who's just going to be getting in your ear going, do it. What, are you afraid? Like, nah. I'm not afraid. Cheapers. I'm not afraid. Nah. And so eventually they con you into doing it. Except the thing is that the Moota Bay Jetty, it's not just the jetty. There's a shed, or there used to be. They tore it down because this was really dangerous. There was a shed on top of the jetty. It'd be like, what if you climbed up on the shed and jumped off that? It's like, oh, I already feel like it's pretty extremely dangerous jumping off the jetty. They're like, well, you're scared. Like, yes, definitely. But when you're 13, you can't say that you're scared. So you climb up on the shed, and then guess what? A corrugated iron shed in Australian summer is extremely hot. So you lose your choice in a hurry, and you've just got to jump and hope for the best. Luckily, here we are. But <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> see, see, the thing is, when you go jetty jumping, you think you're really brave until you see the locals. You know how the, if you ever go to the country town, and you go to the jetty, and you're like, yeah, I'm pretty tough. And then the locals are just doing something absurd. At Moota Bay, what they used to do is there was this old pylon that was used for, uh, for um, lifting ships. There used to be a small crane attached to lift small boats up into the jetty. And they would shimmy up to the top of the pylon. Like, it'd be, I don't know, the top of the screen. And about this big. And by the time more than one person has been up there, soaking wet and slippery. And they're just going, yeah, this seems like a great idea. <laughs> Let's give this a crack and just jump off that and do the best suey you could imagine. And if you don't understand what I'm talking about, you've missed out on your childhood. <laughs> the point is this. What are the voices you're listening to in your life? See, every one of us have voices we're meant to be listening to and voices we are not meant to be listening to. And one of the key skills in our life is working out which is which. And in the letter we heard today from Jude, one of the most important things he wants us to understand is we've got to know which voice to listen to in our life, which ones are to help us and which ones are to harm us, to heal and destroy this is a key part of life. So let's have a look at the book of Jude. Now, this book is a letter. It's often called an epistle. Same thing, letter, epistle. And uh, it's just one chapter. So tonight, I want you all to go home and read it before you go to bed because it'll take you like a minute and a half. And then you'll be able to say, I read a book of the Bible tonight. God, I'm doing pretty well. <laughs> you don't have to be that cocky about it, but you can. Your pastor's just given you permission. As best as we can tell, Jude was not just an ordinary apostle. He was actually the brother of Jesus. And any time you see the name Jude in the Bible or Judas or Judah, it's all the same name. It's all a derivative of the name Judah, which was the name of one of the tribes of Israel. So just to make it easier for us, basically, the uh, biblical interpreters have changed the name slightly so that we know who is who, which is helpful because there's two Judases just in the disciples alone. So it is nice to know who's who. 
And what we see from Matthew's gospel, Mark's gospel, and a couple of other places is that Jude was one of the half-brothers of Jesus, along with James and a couple of other guys. And um, they became really prominent in the early church. As, as best as we can tell, Jude was kind of an early missionary. He would travel from church to church, sharing the gospel and the good news about Jesus Christ. And one of the things I love about the way he presents himself in this letter is he begins by saying, Jude, the brother of James and a servant of Jesus. See, that's humility. When you've come face to face with your brother being the Messiah, and you can still say, he's the Messiah and I'm his servant, that's where you know things are well, because you're all thinking of your siblings and going, yeah, that's not happening. That's not a thing that was going to happen in my household. But for Jude and James, even though they grew up with Jesus, even though they struggled during Jesus' life to understand that he was the Messiah, by his death and resurrection, they were wise enough to go, oh, our brother was just resurrected from the grave. He was who he says he was. We are going to start to serve him and honor him. And so I love that that's how Jude introduces himself. He happens to be one of Jesus' brothers, and he happens to be a humble guy. Now, this letter is probably written in about AD 70 or 75, and probably written to a community of Jewish Christians. That's helpful. That's context. But let's put that aside, because what we need to know is less about context and more about intention. Why was this letter written? What's the purpose? The purpose is to help you discover the right voices to listen to. Because Jude starts off hot. In the passage that I read before, he comes in and he said, I was so excited. I really wanted to write you a letter. I've always been wanting to communicate with you. I wanted to write about salvation and celebrate together about salvation. There's been new conversions. I want to celebrate that together. But small problem, you've got all these false teachers floating around. And before I can celebrate that, I need to address this. Now, this, by the way, is the reason Brant was so happy to let me preach on Jude and he took Titus because of all the false teacher stuff. So thanks, buddy. And um, so Jude, <laughs> I received that. Jude is writing to a church community much like ours. And he's saying, you've got to learn the difference between true gospel teachers and false teachers and know what to do with that. And we hear that and receive that in 21st century Australia, and it's a hard thing to listen to because we tend to take an approach in Australia today that says all ideas are equal. Everyone's having a go. All ideas are equal. They're just held by different people. And because we take an inclusive approach to community and life, we find it very hard to listen when somebody's describing somebody as false or their ideas as false. But by definition, as soon as we start to scratch the surface, we realize that, of course, not all ideas are equal. I'll get to that later. When we begin, though, to apply this to faith, that means we have to begin to draw lines around what it means to be in or out. And that really gets people rubbing the wrong way when you talk about faith that way. The idea that some people are in and some people are out. Now, by definition, they have to be, right? Like, either you believe in Jesus or you don't. Like, there's, a, there's one simple delineation. But as we start to break this down, and as people start to try and draw lines around what they think it does and does not mean to follow Jesus, we really run the risk of offending and hurting people. And we've got to be so careful. But I want to flip it the other way, to let you know that if we don't put this boundary anywhere at all, we end up hurting entire communities, and we end up offending God's Holy Spirit. And one of the things we absolutely cannot afford to do in our lives is to grieve the Holy Spirit, is to come against God's intention for your life and for all of creation. So let's unpack this a little bit more. What exactly was this false teaching? 
we find that Jude makes two major complaints about the false teachers. Number one, they are corrupting God's grace through sexual immorality. And number two, they're denying Jesus Christ. Big allegations. Let's dig down. What exactly does that mean? Well, the people that Jude was writing about, they were also traveling missionaries. So they'd come to this Christian community and they'd started to preach the gospel of grace. But what they had started to actually preach was a life that had no inhibitions and no rules and no boundaries whatsoever and was totally untethered to God's opinion of their life. See, these people were coming in and they had this mindset that said, if I've received grace, which means I no longer have to compete for the affections of God. I have the approval of God in Jesus' name and through the work and life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. I have the approval of God the Father. Therefore, free and easy. I can do whatever I want. It doesn't matter. My actions, my follow-through, it doesn't matter anymore. Go for it. Do what you like. And to nobody's surprise, the first place these false prophets turn is sexual immorality. Because generally speaking, if people are like, hey, I've got grace and that means I can do what I want, the first place people turn is to go, cool, what would I like to do with my body right now? That tends to be the way. Just sorry to ruin illusions if uh, that's what's happening tonight. But the second accusation is even worse than the first, that these supposed teachers about Jesus Christ are denying Jesus Christ. It's a little unclear exactly what that means, but what it means at the very least is they are living lives that refuse to be under the authority of Jesus Christ. That means Jesus is setting a vision for all of humanity, which begins with our lives and outworks through all eternity. It's called the kingdom of God. But these teachers are refusing to live under it. And then they're going to teach others and trying to drag them along with them. And Jude is coming to say, whoa, 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 whoa. No, no, this is not what the gospel is about. And Jude would know. So the Bible Project puts it this way. Jude doesn't focus on the teacher's theology, because Paul did that a lot. He would focus on the theology. But he goes on to say this. But on the teacher's immoral way of life, which denies Jesus. See, Jude could tell the depth of their teaching by the shallowness of their lives. And, and friends, if you're here in this room, and you profess to follow Jesus, and that, that's something you claim to do, people should be able to tell the depth of your faith by the depth of your life, by the way you act, the way you live, you have your being, you treat others, your generosity, your kindness, your fairness, your sense of justice, your passion for God's word, your filling with the Holy Spirit. People should be able to know who you are and the God you serve by the way you live. Amen? And we all say amen nervously because we know we don't live the way we preach, and that's what Jude is getting at. Jude goes on later to say that these false teachers do this by relying on their dreams, by rejecting spiritual authority, by slandering angels, and frankly, that's a lot to take in. So what do we do about all of this? See, our response, like I said before, is, is that we should treat every opinion as equal, that all ideas are equally valid. But the thing is, you don't actually believe that, and neither do I. Sometimes we like to believe in principles like this because it feels fair to do it. But let me give you an example of why this doesn't make any sense whatsoever. If you go to two people, right? If I go, hey, Katie, um, I'm going on a trip to Italy. Really, really keen to hear your thoughts. And Katie's like, oh, my gosh, 
I went to Italy last year, back when you could fly on planes and go to other countries. Do you remember that? No, you don't. It's fine. Anyway, went to Italy last year. It was an amazing time. I visited the Colosseum. I went to the Vatican. I saw, I saw the, all this beautiful artwork. And then you've got to go to this place in the Piazza. There's this little cafe. You tell them I sent you. I, you know, I made friends with the owner. It's amazing. You have to go there. Don't miss it. I'll be like, great advice. Thank you. And I go, oh, I want a second opinion. And then I go over to Taylor. I'm like, Taylor, I'm thinking of going to Italy. What do you think? And Taylor's like, oh, I don't know. Like, I cook pasta at home and it gets really gluggy in the strainer. <laughs> like, what? And she's like, yeah, so don't really like Italy heaps. It's like, oh. I go, well, there's two equally valid opinions. So <laughs> I, guess, I guess that's neutral. I guess I still don't know. Can, can you see how ridiculous this idea is? Now, this is a little bit extreme. Like, I'm sure Taylor doesn't make gluggy pasta. A little bit? Wow, okay. In Jesus' name. But can you see that when we apply these ideas to the teachings of Jesus and the way we live our lives, suddenly this makes a really important point for our lives. Suddenly we're going, somebody's telling me to do this and somebody's telling me to do that and they're the complete opposite and I am telling myself they are equally valid even though they are not. And the wrestle is how do we know? How do you know what's valid and what isn't? There are so many competing voices. Right now, every time we turn on the news, we are bombarded with what's known as subjective bias, which means that Everybody who's presenting a news article from somewhere, it doesn't matter what the news source is, they have a bias that might be pushed by a political or business agenda, or it might just be the way they present it. You can say the exact same thing in different ways, can't you? You can read the same piece of text with different emphases based on your own personal bias. You can include some information and not include others because of bias. I'm not trying to get you not to, to trust anyone. I'm trying to get us to understand that we've got to be discerning consumers. We have to recognize that the information that comes into our minds is not neutral, and neither is our mind, and it shouldn't be, says Jude. Our mind should be crafted in the mind of Christ, following Jesus in all things. And so we get to this idea of, say, the news media, and we're beginning to discover, okay, Yes, we probably can't trust the news media. This is something that I reckon the last five years has begun to teach us, that we have to be discerning thinkers. Now, the problem is, if you can't trust the media, where do you go for information? And the problem is, the place we tend to go is social media. You go, well, you can't trust the news media, so I'm going to trust some TikToker that has a few hits. Like, whoa, yeah, seems legit. Great, great idea. Yeah, they did this ranking system from 1 to 10 where they pointed at different numbers and they came up with a list. So that seems pretty important. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give that authority. Now, I'm joking, but I've seen the way you guys use social media. <laughs> I've seen it happen. And the thing about social media, as you all know, is the algorithms push popular stuff to the top. Is it better? No. Is it more credible? No. It's just more popular. Now, that doesn't mean you shouldn't listen to it. doesn't mean it's not credible but it means you can't just assume what is popular is good. What you've got to be looking for is that little blue tick. You know that little blue tick? Every influencer is like, give me the blue tick. Give me the verified. I've got to be verified so that people know I mean something. Now, this, this sounds a bit shallow, but it's actually a lot deeper because the Instagram verification standards are not about how many followers you have. It's got nothing to do with that. 
You've got to prove that you are a real human being who is credible as a public figure. It has got nothing to do with the followers you have. I found an AFL footy player with 2,000 followers who is verified. I found a blogger who has 220,000 followers not verified. Because you cannot just be more popular to be more credible. And the danger in our lives today, friends, is that the most popular voices are the loudest voices, are the most obnoxious, angry voices, and they're the ones we're listening to. Because you and I are always going to come to moments in our faith where we ask questions. Let me tell you, this is good. God's not afraid of your questions. Because when you're asking questions, you're wrestling. You're asking deep things about your faith. And God wants you to grow in that way. He wants you to wrestle. He wants you to press in and go deeper. There's nothing to be afraid of in your questions. The problem is, when we have a question, rather than coming to a trusted source, we go to Google. And Google doesn't care. Like They're not necessarily anti-Christian. They just don't care. They're like, all right, whatever's got the highest result in the algorithm, bing, up to the top. Or you go to YouTube and you're like, who's the angriest responder I can find on YouTube? You'll find quite a lot of them, by the way. (laughs) And we've got to stop doing that. Do you know where you should be going for your trusted source of wisdom? First, you should be going to God. And then you should be coming here. Not because I am the all-wise person, but because in this space, you can trust the relationship we have. I am not a video on a screen getting clicks. I'm so, Well, I am for you guys, but you can come here too. You can visit us. But I'm somebody that I can get off the stage and we're going to have a conversation and go deeper about it. And you're going to go into life groups and chew these topics and tear them apart when you're not sure about them. See, the reason we get the Rev to get up and preach to you guys, Reverend Bryant, who got up here last week and preached a cracker of a message on Titus, and you need to jump on the pods and listen to it or jump on YouTube Yeah, I sense the irony. Jump on YouTube and watch that. But why do we get him up? Yes, because he's gifted, more because he's credible. Because week after week, he is present with you, caring for you pastorally, speaking into your lives, knowing about who you are, getting alongside you. And then when he gets up, you're like, I know Brant, I know he is credible. Which means if I come to him with a question, he can answer it. And if he can't answer it, I can trust where he points me. This is so important, guys. I feel feel like this isn't sinking in. I'm preaching here and it's not sinking in. You've got to know the voices that are coming into your head. You've got to know what you are allowing to come in. You've got to have a wise filter because most of us don't have any filters set up. We just assume that whatever heads to the top is good and it isn't automatically good. Some of the things that flow are not good in our life. You can read into that however you want. In fact, a lot of the time, I've got, I've got a seven-year-old boy and a nine-year-old boy at home. The amount of times they've come home and be like, hey, Dad, here's a true thing I heard at school. And I'd be like, oh, actually, guys, that's not true. And they're like, no, it is. My friend told me on the playground. I'm like, don't come at me, kid, with your seven-year-old playground knowledge. But this is what we do by trusting YouTube. And then they sleep outside that night. And <laughs> this is only one of them at a time. This is what we do. By trusting YouTube and Google and these algorithms to feed our wisdom. Instead of going to the scriptures. Instead of coming to people that we know and trust. This is why the church matters. This is why being at church on a Sunday is a spiritual discipline. Because God has not made you to be alone. God has not made you to be formed on an island. God has not made you to be purely a digital being. You can do community digitally. But when you're present with people week after week... Time after time, you build relationships of trust 
and honesty, and that's where you grow. That's where you grow, church. And that's why being here on a Sunday is a critical spiritual discipline. Now, what do you do with this? Well, luckily, Jude has advice on what you do with it. Because you might be sitting here going, it's, it's okay, I'm here every Sunday. I have a pretty good idea about credible voices. But your friends might not. You might be sitting around people that they kind of want to love Jesus, but they're just conflicted. They're torn, which is so normal. And so Jude gives us three pieces of advice for our friends that we know and love. Number one, be merciful. Be merciful. Or if you want to translate it, be kind. Because you and I, we're all getting tempted by something. We're all wrestling with something. And if we're not wrestling with it now, we will be tomorrow. We've got to be kind and merciful to those who are struggling with temptation. Because the danger is that people who are steering towards rebellion, who are jumping off the jetty without looking, is to get judgmental and go, well, I'm not like that. And it's just, just give it over. There's no room for that in the church, okay? Everybody get off their high horse. Let's stop being judgmental. We need kindness. We need mercy. That's what Jude recommends. And then he says, though, fight for their salvation. Don't just be merciful. Fight for them. In fact, the language he uses is even stronger. He says, save others by snatching them from the fire. Woo! Snatch them from the fire. Okay. Can I tell you, if you want to be a great friend, don't just default affirm everything your friend says. Because your friends will say dumb stuff. Especially like young adults, man, we love you. I'm so glad our church is a place where young adults find home. But the amount of times that young adults are like, yeah, I'm really thinking of just going on a spiritual retreat to Nepal next year to find myself. It's like, it's probably a dumb idea. It's probably a dumb idea. Let's talk about it. Or like, yeah, I know I deferred the last two years, but I'm thinking of deferring next year too. Like, for what? Where are you going? What are you deferring? Like, do you know what I mean? Like, we need to be people in relationship, right? This is why Facebook doesn't work. Because you put that information up on Facebook and the only people who call you out on it are the people with no social skills who are like, sounds like a dumb idea. You're like, who are you, guy I haven't heard from in eight years? I'm not listening to that. But the people around you, your best mates, should be calling you out on this. That's what the church is for, to grow you and bless you, not just for the sake of affirming what you're thinking. Every thought you have is not a good thought. You know that. And they should be forming you in the image of Jesus. That's what the church is for. So that's what we've got to do. We've got to fight for their salvation. Sometimes you've got to hold their hand while they cross the road. You want to be loving? Show it. You believe in grace? Take the grace you've been given and use it to step into the fire with others to snatch them out. But that leads me to Jude's third point. And band, you guys can come back up. The third piece of advice that Jude gives us combines these two. He says, be merciful and snatch them from the fire, which means be merciful, but be afraid. Don't assume that just because they've fallen into temptation, you won't as well. Because that's the sort of thing that tends to happen. There's a, there's a classic example that youth pastors love to give about, um, take notes, Jim and Cam, about, about people who are in bad relationships. And to say, basically, it's like, if the person who is relatively healthy in their relationship with Jesus is standing on a chair and the other person is just sort of holding their hand and all they need to do is start taking a couple of steps and boom, you fall down. It's just much easier to fall down off the chair than it is to try and pull someone up on the chair. Now, it's an imperfect example, but, but it does work. 
to show you, it, it can be really, really easy just to slip into temptation when you're trying to save somebody. Because often what we do is we save the wrong way. We see somebody drowning and we're like, I'm going to jump in and help you. And you're halfway down. You're like, oh, I can't swim. This is a problem. And suddenly both of you are in trouble. You haven't helped anybody. The problem is we like to jump in and help people without recognizing that it's not just our help they need. That we need to jump in and while we're helping people in the midst of their trouble, we need to be dragging them out to Jesus. We're not dragging them to my life or Pastor Jen's life or Jared or any, anyone else. We need to drag them to Jesus. See, the, the whole image of salvation, the whole thing Jude wanted to write about before he got caught up with these false teachers who live like hypocrites, is to say there is a salvation out there worth celebrating. There is a God who came to our rescue. You were in the fire and he jumped in there with you. Not only did he snatch you out of it, he took the fire on your behalf. There is a God who loved you so deeply that in the midst of your temptation, he stood in there on your behalf and where you would have wavered or I would have wavered, he did not waver. And where there was a punishment to be taken for wrongdoing, he took our place and stood there in our place. Friends, the salvation you are desperate for, the voice you need to hear is the salvation of Jesus and the voice of the Holy Spirit. So tonight, as we sort of come to a close, there's really two big questions that Jude challenges us, us with. The first is, do we live lives that actually look like we follow Jesus? And he uses the lens of sexual morality, but it could be a whole bunch of things. There could be a lot of really dumb things we're doing in our lives. What are they? Where do we need to be challenged on our behavior? This is not an age thing. There are some very, very foolish 80-year-olds. What is it in our life that we need to do right now that Jesus is convicting us of? And the second one is this, and it links. Will we come under the authority of Jesus? which means what Jesus is calling us to do, do we have the courage to say we'll do it? Because the whole thing about false teachers, and in fact, the voices in our own head telling us what to do, are that we assume they're the right voices. And we trust them, and we trust them, and we trust them. And we're yanked here, and we're yanked there, and anxiety rises all across our society as we are spoilt for choice with bad options. And Jesus is saying there's another way. There's another way. A path that Jesus has blazed for you. You don't have to walk it alone. A path that has involved suffering for Jesus who took suffering on your behalf. A path of hope, a path of salvation. But it's a path that can only be found in following Jesus. That's the voice you need. So tonight, what's the voice you're listening to? Um, as I was praying this afternoon, there's a couple of things I was just pondering. The first, um, and I said this this morning, but I'll say it again, uni students, if you're here and you're at uni, this is the time in your life where you are going to be forged in the fire or you are going to fall away from the flames. And the one thing that will decide what you do is the voices you choose to listen to. Just because you hear a new idea about Jesus doesn't mean it's a correct idea. Just because it challenges a preconception you've had doesn't mean your preconception or the challenge are right. Both of those could be wrong. 
And Jesus is calling you to discover him in a new way. Come to a fuller understanding of who he is. I want to encourage and challenge you, uni students, if you're watching online or, or listening to this on the pod, if you're a uni student, now is the time to do everything you need to do to hold fast to the word of life that is in Jesus. What do you need to do? What is God challenging you to do right now to hold fast to that? There might be a big decision you have to make right now that the Holy Spirit is trying to prompt you on, but you're not wanting to listen because you're comfortable. There's a comfort level in the life you're leading now. But Jesus is saying, if you want me, if you want all of me, if you really want to hear my voice, then leave all of those things and follow me. What's he saying to you, students? But the other thing is this. I, I just... You know, this is about false teachers, and I haven't talked a whole heap about that, but it's teachers basically who are deliberately teaching things that go against the gospel. I think most of that comes from outside the church, and we let it into our minds. But I think most of the false teaching in our lives right now comes from inside our own minds. I wonder what the difference would be if instead of getting depressed and anxious, we began to listen to the promises of God over our life. And God wants you tonight, if that's you, if you have been wrestling with depression and anxiety, can I tell you, I've walked the path of depression. I know what it feels like. I know how difficult it is. I do not say this lightly. Jesus can break those chains. Jesus can and will break those chains if you let him. That is my promise as someone who has been there and walked that path and lived it. Maybe tonight you need that. You need to let Jesus do that for you. The God who died on your behalf, come on, is, is wanting to lay down his life for you again so that you can be free, free from the burden of anxiety and depression. How are you free from it? By listening to the right voice, to the promises that say you are here on purpose for a purpose, that you're a child of God, you're a daughter, you're a son, you've been given meaning, you've been given hope, you've been given redemption in Jesus' name. There is a God that has come not only to die, but so you may live. Thanks so much for listening. I pray that you're able to hear from God in a fresh way today. We'd love to hear from our listeners. To connect with us or to support the work of Encounter, please jump on our website, encounteradelaide.com.au. And if you enjoyed this podcast, don't forget to jump onto iTunes, Spotify, or your podcast provider and give us a rating and review. Or share this message on your social media accounts and tag us at Encounter Adelaide. God bless. Have an amazing week.